Good afternoon, everybody in Internet Radio Land around the world or in outer space, listening from a spaceship, maybe. I'd like to think that because I know they're out there. Welcome to my show, The Church of the Soul's Evolution. And I would really like to make contact with extraterrestrials. I don't know if there's anybody else out there that would like to also, but can you just imagine being like Star Trek and Star Trek, exploring the universe, boldly going where no man has gone before, exploring other solar systems in our galaxy or another galaxy. We had and we have the potential to do so by only making contact. That's all we need to do is make contact with the extraterrestrials that are out there. But we're a very violent species, aren't we? You know, throughout our history. Wars. Lots of wars, right, my friends? Unfortunately. But I always have hope. Maybe before I die, whenever that day might be in the future, that we might make contact. It would change everything. It will change everything big time. Believe me. Not only will they share their technology with us and we'll become star travelers, but they'll share everything that they know with us to include our medicine. And diseases will become a thing of the past because they'll let us know what we were doing wrong and how to correct it. That will be the day, hopefully, in the future, not too distant future. I'm ready for it. How about you? Are you satisfied with the same old, same old every day, with the fighting going on, with the politicians, well, I mean, the competition with the politicians, I, I pray for them, you know, I really do, but around the world, not only the United States, I think it's about the same, you know, I'm just saying that we're ready for another step the new step in our evolution to get to where we can become part of the intergalactic community. Brothers and sisters in spirit, because we are truly spirits of the universe. And there is a God, there is a creator out there who created everything from the beginning, from the Big Bang. Don't you know that at one time, there wasn't a physical universe. I mean, it was a, such a long, almost incomprehensibly long time ago. And nothing existed at one time except for darkness and silence and the Creator, the Great Spirit, as the Indians used to call him, her, because God is both male and female. I was watching this really cool, I mentioned it on the last show, near-death experience, and you ought to check it out. I highly recommend it on YouTube. Her name is Donna Ribado, and she had a near-death experience, and she said she came face-to-face, so to speak. Not really face-to-face, but she had an encounter because she said that the creator of the universe doesn't have a face. 
and it's neither male nor female, and it's not an it. It's an electrical kind of energy that she described as like the aurora borealis, but a beautiful mind belongs to the Supreme Creator who is omniscient and omnipotent. I call the Supreme Creator of the universe omniscient magicoso. Magical, because that's what the Creator is. Our Creator that created this planet indirectly, you know, because we have co-creator God, mother and fathers who created the solar system, I believe. And we are all co-creator gods in the making, you and I, working our way through the evolutionary process, through reincarnation, one incarnation after another on different planets throughout the universe or maybe before in this world, you know. You could have been a farmer, it could have been a beggar, it could have been a soldier, it could have been a fisherman, it could have been a beggar two or three, four times, it could have been a king or a queen in a previous life, it could have been a politician, a doctor, a lawyer, or something similar in all the past lives you've had. There's a book, one of my favorite books, I've mentioned it before, Abduction to the Ninth Planet, about a man who says he was abducted by extraterrestrial beings back in the late 80s from his home in Australia, taken to a planet in the Milky Way galaxy called Thiauba, T-H-I-A-O-U-B-A. And there, this race of extraterrestrials who are hermaphrodite, both male and female, like transgender, about nine and a half feet tall, who are just absolutely, extremely intelligent, beautiful heads of hair and perfect in every way, all facets of their being, their characteristics are perfect, you know, and it is as high as you can get on the evolutionary ladder. There are number nine Planet. They live on a number nine planet. We're on the planet number one of the evolutionary ladder. In the evolutionary categories, we're number one. And the highest is in number nine. Everything in between is a different variation of evolution, depending on what kind of planet you're on, where, in the galaxy or another galaxy. And... It's all working its way up from the bottom to the top in regard to spiritual development and technology, too. So when you get to a planet nine, you're at the highest level of evolutionary development and also technological development. And he was there on their planet for 10 days. He has now passed away. His name was Michael Desmarquette. Michael Desmarquette. He was a French man living in Australia, and he claimed that they showed him all his previous lives, that he had 82 past lives, 82, which is a specific number when you reach a level known to them as, and they explained it to him, 
as a suku, S-O-U-K-O-U, a very special person that's lived a lot of lives throughout the universe. Me, I don't know. You, I, I don't know either because we can't remember. We were made to forget when we were born into this world, when we were born into this world, we were made to forget. We went through something known before, I mentioned it, as the river of oblivion where the memories, the memory of your past lives is erased. And your access to universal knowledge is no longer accessible because this planet is a very special learning environment. So we were made to forget so that we could learn basic social values and also develop ourselves very quickly spiritually because, as I mentioned before, we are spirits and souls. Our souls shine with the light. When you're born into this world, the shining of your soul, the light of your soul, is of a certain degree of intensity, and the object is to make it brighter when you transition from this life back to the spiritual realm. Scary stuff. Well, I have to be that way because I'm getting older, and my mother, she was a mystic, and she taught me, and I don't mind talking about this stuff, especially when you turn on the television nowadays and you can have your choice of violence and negativity. So what I talk about, even though it's kind of taboo and people don't talk about it too often, no, there's hardly anybody, there's hardly anybody that I can talk to about this kind of thing. These subjects, you know, spirituality, extraterrestrials, near-death experiences, angels, life in heaven, what it's going to be like. It's just not a common topic of conversation. Oh, there's somebody out there behind our backyard, walking in our backyard, behind our backyard. Oh, it's the first time I've seen somebody back there in a long time, but watch out, there's rattlesnakes back there. I think it was like maybe several years ago, we went back there with our dogs, and it was grown up. They hadn't cut the grass for a while, and the the grass and the bushes were at about waist level. And we were going along, and all of a sudden I heard you know, that telltale sound of a rattlesnake. And so our dog was up ahead of us, and it must have been just a few feet from the dog, and she looked at it and didn't know what to do. And I called her and yelled at her and said, come on, let's go. We turned around went back, and we never went back there again. And I've seen like six rattlesnakes around our house here. I've had to kill them. I don't like killing things, but they're very dangerous, you know, especially to pets and to humans. We go out at night to feed our dogs in the backyard. We don't want to be bitten by a rattlesnake. You know, that'll completely ruin your day if you get bitten by a rattlesnake. Anyway, so that was a good introduction to my show. I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Some of the things I'm going through. I joined the Army in 1982, and even before that, I used to run, you know, all the time, 
in college, junior college, when I was, let me see, 1973, I was 19 years old. I went to junior college. I took a course in cross-country running at Mesa College. So I've been running all my life, and I've had what is known as a hyperextension injury. When I was very young, I can't remember how young I was, maybe about three. I slipped on ice. We were living in Canada. I'm a Canadian, U.S. citizen now. I was born in Barrie, Ontario. I lived in Halifax, Nova Scotia after one year there in Barrie. We moved to Ormoc, to New Brunswick, went overseas a couple of years. My dad was with the Canadian Army. Back to New Brunswick to a different city called Fredericton, a suburb there called Nashwaxis in 1962-68. And after that, we moved to Ottawa, the capital, and stayed there until 71. When we moved to Guadalajara, Mexico, my parents and I, and two cats, in a 1963 Pontiac. And what I was getting at was I've been running a lot over my life, especially when I joined the Army in 82. When you join the Army, you have to be able to run and pass a PT test, you know. So it was mainly slow jogging, you know. You work up your time. I got to from about maybe 15 minutes every or a two-mile run down to underneath 12 minutes. It took me quite a few years, but I kept improving and getting better and faster. And at about 18 years, I got a profile for running because I had donated one of my kidneys to my son in 1995. Also, I had discovered through some x-rays that I had this hyperextension injury when I was younger, apparently. And I remember that two or three times in my life where I fell backwards. I slipped on ice. Usually I played football one time. I got clotheslined and simply my feet went up and I came down and I broke my fall by sticking out my right arm. So my elbow, right elbow made contact with the ground. And I remember hearing the crack in my neck and I guess it cracked my back too. And I had a broken spine. Therefore, and I thought for sure I'd done something to my neck, but I had x-rays taken and an MRI taken and nothing was revealed, but I don't know if they could reveal a pinched nerve. And maybe it was my collarbone, because I know I'd heard a bone breaking. But that's the way it goes. You know, with some of us, there's another guy who I know. I went to a meeting today, a Toastmasters meeting, I forgot to mention it to him. Another member told me that he had a similar fall and hurt himself. A lot of people do, you know. When we go through life, we sometimes have falls. Even just walking on the pavement, you can have a fall. You know, I, I, I went running um, maybe a month ago, if that long. In the neighborhood, going up the hill, I was crossing the street, and... I got, uh, there was a car coming on my left, so I had to get over the street, get across the street quickly. And I think my toe stubbed one of the reflector things in the middle of the road. I lost my balance and 
next thing I know, I was rolling on the pavement, and this happened before. So falling down is a reality as a human being, and it can break bones, and it can ruin your back, you know. But I've dealt with it over the years. But So I had a profile from the Army, not running. I did the two-and-a-half-mile walk for the PT test. I'd previously gotten the profile for push-ups and sit-ups. So I got what they call a P3 profile, which means you're exempt from having to do the push-ups, sit-ups, and the run, but you still had to do the two-and-a-half-mile walk, which I did all the way up until I retired in 2004. But then in 2017, I I kept the walking up, That's especially after the kidney transplant donation. I did run... Um, well, that's one of the reasons I got the profile in 2000. The transplant was in 1995, so I was walking all the time, one or two miles a day I would try to do. And then I it was right around the time where I got a standing workstation at work. If you've never tried one of those, you should. All of a sudden, I felt like I had more energy when I was standing up at work, you know, typing on my computer. It's a good idea. You should look into it if you're still sitting down at the desk, which is, you know, if you spend eight hours behind a computer all day and you're sitting, well, when you get older, it'll kind of catch up to you. I think it did to me. Maybe not. Some people's bodies are stronger, and that's understandable. Anyway, with that newfound energy I had, I thought I would try to do a little bit of running. So I got back into it and... You know, when you don't have to do it, like I had to when I was in the Army, I could do it my own way. I could run like maybe a lap around the track or a mile, but not two miles like I used to have to do in the Army. Or you could sprint. So right around 2017, I started doing sprints, thinking that, you know, maybe it was the key to the fountain of youth, if you will, you know, that would keep me looking young, being almost 69 years old, but back in 17, that was seven years ago, it was around 62, 63, and sprinting, if you're not familiar with the benefits of sprinting, one of them is that it induces the human growth hormone within the body, it's great for the circulation it's called a high-intensity exercise, so it's good for the great for the heart. It's like the best exercise you can do for the heart. And I'm very concerned about my heart and my lungs. Of course, the lungs benefit greatly from sprinting, too. And I kept it up over the years. Um, I, I would do it on the track. I would do it around the, the dirt track. And I would do it on pavement. And I would estimate over the years, I probably did an excess of several hundred, 100 meter sprints throughout the, you know, throughout those years up until recently when I realized, and I could see that my sleep apnea was being aggravated by something. And I, I didn't want to believe that it was associated with my sprinting or my running because I also would maybe sometimes run a mile or, or run the 200-meter run or 400 meters or 800 meters. And 
might need to get something to eat here. I'm feeling hungry right now. But I'll drink water and I'll see if I can hold on. So, if you have sleep apnea, and a lot of people do, a lot of people I work with in my organization have sleep apnea and they even use CPAP, CPAP machines, you know. And I tried a CPAP machine twice for about a month each time, but I just wasn't compatible with it. I would use the CPAP machine, and and later on during the day, I tried all the different masks. I wound up liking the, the uh, nasal pillar mask better than the other ones. And so it was good in regard to my wife telling me that my snoring was stopped, you know, by using that mask. But at the end of the day, my nose would start running, you know, because when the machine would breathe for me at night, for me at night, then I guess the way I can explain it logically is that when you're used to the machine breathing for you, if you're not breathing on your own, then it um, will catch up. It did to me anyway. But not only that, it dried up my sinuses, so that's why my nose kept getting runny like towards the end of the day, and I was sniffing, not very happy with you know what was going on. So I, I returned the CPAP machines, and then I tried the dental, dental therapy device. That cost $2,500. 500 of it I paid out of my own pocket. And after a few months of trying that, I went to have another sleep study to see how I was doing. And right away, when I was there having a sleep study, I had a couple of bad sleep apnea attacks. And if you've never experienced a sleep apnea attack, it's when you stop breathing. And I've had them pretty bad where I thought I was going to die. And that's the truth. And I realized, and I'm still thinking about this, it might be true, it might not be, that it was associated with my running. But then other people have sleep apnea and they don't run. But maybe they did previously in their life. So my theory is this, logically. When we run, and... There's a lot of impact, for one thing. You know, we strike the ground, especially if you're running on pavement or concrete. And that impact affects the back. Even if you run on a rubber track, it's still pretty jarring to the the back in the central nervous system. But for me, I have observed that I have one leg that seems to be longer than the other and also stronger than the other. So... The equal distribution of weight when I'm running on the legs was not equal, and therefore, it affected my back. And contrary to what some doctors might believe, sleep apnea, in my opinion, is related to the back. Yeah, I remember I almost got into an argument with this doctor I had. And suffice it to say, I wound up quitting her and going to uh, one of the military facilities for treatment. But at this time, I'm pending getting the VA to approve this ability for sleep apnea associated not only with my back, but also anxiety, 
which and PTSD, which are related. But that's another story. The point is, I realized that I was hurting myself by sprinting. As much as I liked it, as much as it felt good to push my body to the limit, running as fast as I could, going down the road or a track, you know, the wind blowing into your face and knowing that you that you're pushing yourself to your limits and it's a good feeling it kind of boosts your confidence you know because then afterwards you walk around and you feel like hey you know i can sprint but it was hurting myself and i realized that so i started doing research i came up with a solution that i read about and another thing that running does too is it affects the knees besides the back it affects the knees. Runner's knee, you've heard of it. And that's no surprise, really, all the pounding of the, the ground, especially sprinting. Uh, I think the number is you exert like eight times your weight when you're sprinting, and then you come to a stop, you know, especially when you're stopping. There's a lot of pressure on the body at that time, you know. So for me, I noticed that my left ankle was discolored, the skin, the veins were popping out. I started to develop varicose veins in my left ankle, and I was having these sleep apnea attacks. And and also, I even was experimenting with breathing through my nose instead of breathing through my mouth, you know. They say that um, you should breathe through your nose when you do intense exercise. You look at some of the sprinters on television, and you'll see that some breathe through their nose when they're doing the 100-meter sprint, or there are some marathon runners who breathe through the nose, like Iliad Kipchoge, greatest marathoner today. He breathes not all the time, but most of the time through his nose. Isn't that amazing? A guy that can do, like, sub-five-minute miles is breathing through his nose like, you know, it's no big deal. Of course, he practices all the time, and he's been doing it many years. But anyway, also, I noticed that um, by sprinting, that other parts of my body, uh, I can't think of what they are right now. I just, uh, my, um, I guess because the one, you know, the not having that equal distribution of weight on the legs, it was just it affected my back in ways that it was, it was affecting my overall coordination and my neck, turning my neck to the left and to the right. But I've done something now, and I've started it. I've been experimenting with it for a while. I thought I'd tell you, maybe you could benefit from it also. But don't just believe me. You can do the research yourself and check YouTube. It's called backward running or retro running. They do it in other countries. It's very popular in Europe and in England. And the theory behind backward running is, and it's also recommended by doctors for rehabilitating some knee injuries, especially, you know, from forward running. They suggest incorporating it into your routine to help your body. But for me, I've started doing it only and it is a, a reasonable, rational 
form of exercise. It exercises the heart very well and the lungs. And it is supposedly harder than running forward. They say that one lap around the track going backwards is the equivalent of running eight laps going forward. And it's good on the knees and it provides equal distribution of weight to your feet. And one thing I've noticed is that my feet all of a sudden are very happy. Before they used to hurt, you know, especially running on pavement and concrete. Anyone else out there relate to that? Sore feet? Now, if you go on a rubber track and you practice like I've been doing, 100-meter backward sprints, you exercise your heart, your lungs, your circulation, and it feels good on your feet very much. So I can do it very well. I'm very quick running backwards. And as you might have guessed, a lot of other sports people practice running backwards, especially football players or defensive backs, safeties. They know how to run backwards very well. They're even thinking of incorporating it into the Olympics and having a backward sprint or maybe, you know, 400 meters or a mile backwards. There is a guy, if you check it out on YouTube, I forget his name, but he's got the fastest time for the mile running backwards. And he just loves doing it now. And his rationale is that he used to run all the time. And the doctor said, you know, you can't keep up running because you're going to hurt yourself. You know, you're going to ruin your, your life. So he started running backwards. Now he loves it. He says it's a different perspective. You're looking at things in front. You know, as you look, everything's disappearing. As you're moving backwards and you're looking forward, or we're looking back as you're moving to the forward backwards if you know what i mean it's a cool thing check it out on youtube don't just take my word for it of course also if you're thinking of doing this consult with your doctor first so you don't hurt yourself you know you can't run as fast as you can running forward and i miss that but i think and this is still in the preliminary observational phases for me, phase, that it might help cure sleep apnea. And the rationale behind that is a lot of people that have sleep apnea are still kind of in a forward mode running and doing a lot of forward movement. Maybe they used to run in their life previously, you know, when they were younger especially, so even if you don't do it full-time, you could do it part-time and still reap benefits from it. And if it cures sleep apnea, why not? You know, if it could help you overall. And just to say it again, what the rationale might be why it would help cure sleep apnea is because it's a back condition, in my opinion. Sleep apnea is related to the back especially if you sleep on your back, you know, and the tongue gets blocked. Um, the airway gets blocked by the tongue. And if you're running backwards, your back, and it strengthens the back too. It strengthens different muscles in the body. It strengthens the hamstrings and the, the 
thighs and the, the buttocks, the lower back, in a way that's different than forward running. And so maybe that's part of the reason, too. You know, but it's still got to do with the back, but it's also the legs. And believe me, I, I am almost convinced. I mean, I can't say it. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. But I think sleep apnea is related to the back, especially when you're behind a computer all day, you know, that bobbing forward, you know, forward and backwards, forward and backward, looking at the words on your computer, kind of like, um, you know, the Jewish people, how they pray at the uh, the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and I'm Jewish too, you know, that bob, that moving forward, backwards and forwards. Um, I think it's better for them, but when you're looking at doing that behind a computer, it can be detrimental to your vision and to your back, right? So I've got this down to a science, you know. I'm still fortunate to be alive today, my friends. I tell you, I am blessed to be alive today by the Creator's grace and mercy, a mother and father God in heaven, their mercy, you know, help. I remember sometimes waking up from sleeping and even while sitting in my car and falling asleep in my driver's seat, like just relaxing, you know, sitting in the car. And I've had problems too driving home. That's another thing. Feeling sleepy behind the wheel. You ever felt sleepy behind the wheel? It's a back thing. It is. It really is. The back is such a complex, how would you describe it, part of the body, you know. Some people have back pain. There's nothing worse than back pain, my friends. And if you're a walker, if you like to walk a lot, and if you're a walker and runner, or maybe just a runner, consider backward running. Check out the videos on YouTube. You know a lot of other people do it. As I mentioned, football players, who else I can think of? Hockey players do it, you know, except they're skating. I, that's one one of the um, the, of the hyperextension injuries I, that I had when I was younger. Maybe three or four, three of them at least, I think, were, was when I was skating backwards and my skate hit um like a part of the ice that was broken, you know, and I fell backwards. And it'll do it. You know, falling down, hurting yourself, it happens all the time to people. It can ruin your life, you know. If you break your back, break your neck, it affects your life from that point on until the day you die. And that's what's happened with me. I'm not complaining. I found a way to survive, and I thrive. And I've got a good life, you know, still working, making good money. I'm very grateful for all my blessings. And I don't mind sharing that aspect, you know, because that's the truth. That's what's going on with me. That's reality. You know, my radio show, I don't want to hide anything from you. People can read me like a book. You know, it's cool. I don't mind it. You know, I want to... Speak the truth. I think we all do, you know. And some people 
you know, unfortunately, and the governments around the world are not telling us the truth in regard to in regard to extraterrestrials, and they're out there. Logically, I think every human being knows deep in their soul that, that you know we're dealing with a creator of bodies. You can see all the different kinds of life here. You know, just look at the dogs that we have. You know, we've got three dogs in our house. They're amazing animals. You know, their hearts beat independently of their wills also, you know. And we know that when they pass away, we're so sad because they just become like family members, you know. Beautiful animals that can see, that have eyes to see, ears to hear. They're just like us in many ways, yet we don't know how they were created. You know, we take it for granted. And they're just one of many mammals, you know, that exists on planet Earth, along with over a million types of insects, 30,000 types of fish, 10,000 types of birds and reptiles and amphibians, about 9,000 different types. I mean, talking about individual separate types, all these birds that are flying around behind my backyard. We've got starlings that just came here. They've been gone. I think they like um, hot weather, so they've probably been down south, and now they come up, you know, to enjoy the hot summer here in Texas. I don't think they stick around all year round, but they're up here. They make their own unique little individual noise, you know, that God has given them. Doves also. I see sparrows and cardinals and red-winged blackbirds and crows, and there's robins. I don't really see a whole lot of robins. But I've been hearing them in my backyard. There's whippoorwills um, around where I, the rubber track where I work out. I've heard them, hawks, and there's vultures too, and all kinds of different birds. I've heard bob whites back here, eastern Phoebe birds, and just think of how unique each one is with its own separate characteristics different coloring, different colored beaks, different feathers, different sizes, different shapes, all courtesy of the supreme creator of the universe who imagined all this. But then you have co-creator gods of solar systems who are in charge of solar systems, who reside on the matrix of the solar system, which is the sun, which is the spirit world. It is a world, just like a regular planet, but it's on fire, you know, has a nuclear fire at its core. And the spirit that we have in our bodies can live in fire. Did you know that? You've heard about some people that go to hell and burn in those lava beds of fire down there. So it's not inconceivable to think that a spirit of a person could also go to the sun, live there, you know, when you die. That that's where, that's the source of light for our solar system, you know, because we're indigenous to our solar system. That's why you have all the different other kinds of sentient beings throughout the universe that are indigenous to their own solar system. You know, you can say that heaven is the sun, but it's a different heaven for other beings, sentient beings. And there's all a whole bunch of them, many thousands of different varieties of life out there in the universe, my friends. I've talked about this before. Those ones I mentioned, the transgender, nine and a half feet, ten feet tall, you know, the grays with the big black eyes. The um, all kinds of variations, you know, short, five feet tall, typically stereotypical, 
The public listening to me right now extremely intelligent. They've been in existence for many years longer than even before our galaxy was formed, you know, the Milky Way galaxy. And don't you know, new galaxies, new solar systems are being formed as we speak. You know, the edges of infinite space are expanding as we live each day. The universe is expanding. Uh, we've proven, proven that. Edwin Hubble said that the universe is expanding and the, the expansion is going faster, apparently. I don't know about that, but suffice it to say, it must not be too carried away with um, the minor details, but it is expanding. The universe is expanding. The borders of infinite space are expanding. We are on a planet, a beautiful planet, which is revolving around the sun. It takes 365 days to revolve around the sun. While we're doing that, it's also rotating on an axis at about 600 miles an hour. And it is perfect. Everything, the power that is responsible for that. And you have to understand that there is a power behind that, just like there's a power that drives your car down the road or a power that powers an airplane in the sky. There's a power that is forcing, or not forcing, but is responsible for the rotation and revolution of our planet. And there's a power that is responsible for the revolution of our own solar system around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And there's a power responsible for the revolution of our galaxy around the center of the universe. And this entire power, this glitch-free, works-like-clockwork power, no mistakes, not as far as I know, has been going on for billions of years without any kinds of glitches or issues, and continues on. Well, as the universe expands and has created one solar system after another until a sufficient amount of solar systems are formed to create a galaxy. I can't tell you how many, but they say the Milky Way galaxy has about mm, a million or so. Don't believe some of the numbers that they gave you. They have a tendency to over-exaggerate to make themselves feel mm, more important, if you will. I say that respectfully because I can't explain why else would they exaggerate, you know, numbers like that. Say a million stars in the Milky Way galaxy. I mean, a million. Just imagine each one having at least nine planets, sometimes a, a little less or a little bit more, but ultimately reverting back to the number nine. And that power continues on and expands somehow. It could be explained as gravity, but I think it's better to understand it as a power. It might be dark energy and dark matter, which is what we see at night when we look up into outer space, dark energy, dark matter. Space is a fabric. Einstein said that in the theory of general relativity, that space is a fabric and can be warped. And you put a sun in dark energy and dark matter and it kind of displaces it and then you have the gravitational pull which might be associated with dark energy and dark matter which is a substance that we don't know very much about but suffice it to say this whole physical universe is a created 
manufactured reality that didn't exist at one time but exists now. And the darkness you see of outer space is really a fabric that was created. And again, it's dark energy and dark matter. And then you put all the suns that light up the space throughout the universe. And voila, you have a manufactured reality for us to exist in, develop ourselves spiritually, moving through that process of reincarnation, that reincarnation cycle throughout lives, one life after another, on different planets throughout the universe, all the experience that we gather, all of what we learn, all of our knowledge is later on then assimilated into the ocean of the Supreme Creator's spirit, which therefore satisfies the Supreme Creator's spiritual yearning for that kind of growth. So not only is the universe expanding and growing, but we are too. We're part of that plan, if you will, of the universe expanding and providing that satisfaction, that yearning that the Supreme Creator wanted. That's why the Supreme Creator initiated the Big Bang for a very simple word, which we know a lot about ourselves because we have grown from babies into hopefully adults. Some people don't make it into adults, but hopefully we live to be a ripe old age of 80, 90, 100 years old, possibly. And we have experienced growth, the growth of a lifetime from turning into a baby into from a baby into an adult human being from very small in size, maybe seven pounds at birth into maybe a 150, 200, 250 pound, 300 pound adult human being. We are growth masters. We have experienced growth. We continue to experience growth. We are all at different levels of growth in our lives. And that is what the Supreme Creator wants, growth, very simply. Not only satisfying, or, or, let me correct my what I said, not only satisfying is her spiritual need, but also growth, the growth of the universe, the growth of us, taking our growth and incorporating that into is herself, itself. Everything we achieve in our life here on earth, all the growth we achieve, all the growth we achieve during our full cycle of lives, our many lives, hopefully, you know, well, sometimes it doesn't take long to achieve what we're striving for, to be co-creator gods and have our own patch of universal space to create our own solar system and our own spirit children, I believe. This is my opinion. But also to contribute to the Supreme Creator's growth. Ultimately, we are connected. We have an infinitesimal piece of the Supreme Creator's spirit inside of us, known as the soul. We have the spirit. You can't have a soul without a spirit. You can't have a spirit without a soul. The soul is very simply the brain 
of the spirit. You have a brain, we have a brain in our physical body, and the brain of the spirit is the soul, and it shines with the light. It shines with the light. I told you this before. I've learned it from other people. You know, I'm passing it on to you. How brightly does your soul shine? There's a song that goes, This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I tell you, when you get to the spirit lands, heaven if you will, hopefully you'll make it and I will too, you're going to notice that everybody shines with a different intensity of light. Not all the same. No, 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 no. Not all the same. And when you get to the throne room and you're in the presence of the mother and father God, you're going to notice that their light is so, so very bright. Oh, my goodness. It's hard to withstand it's so bright. It will wash over you with a glory and brilliance that will almost knock you to the ground like a hurricane wind. No joking. So how do you withstand that to get into the presence of your creator, of your soul and your spirit? Don't you know you need a mother and father to create a child, right? Are you a child of God? I don't know about you, but I know I am. I don't need any more proof than Jesus saying when he taught us how to pray, our Father who art in heaven. So Jesus, he's a co-creator God in the making also. He was living on a Category 9 planet. I know I have to start from the beginning again for some people, for them to understand me, but suffice it to say, he was a very advanced soul, okay? Now he's at, yes, I think he's still in the spiritual realm, in the throne room of the Mother and Father God because he's aspiring to be a co-creator God, just like them. Because if you have a brain in your body, and if you have a heart, and you can die, you have the potential to die, you're a co-creator God in the making. Very simply, that's why you're here on Earth. That's why we're here, to develop ourselves spiritually. Now, how is that? Are anybody frightened by that kind of talk? Well, I'll tell you what. Go to your TV, and I might do it later myself. Turn on a nice, violent movie. That'll get you back to reality. How's that? You can see John Wick kill 112 people in this movie. I once saw John Wick kill three men with a pencil. Now, what do you want to hear? Well, what would you prefer to hear? Violence or spirituality? It's hard to take both. Well, actually, violence, we get so accustomed to violence. And when the real thing happens, people are like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, an active shooter killing 20 people or 50 people or three people like in Uvalde, which is just close to here, 19 children killed. That's reality. We're living in a fantasy world on television. Television is the devil. <laughs> I take that back. I was just kidding. I wanted to say that because imagine what life would be without television maybe reading books and talking with each other. But television has become a very powerful medium that we can't trust to be telling us the truth. Also, it's inspired by a lot of commercials, which is 
all right, that's part of our capitalistic society, I understand. But they just want to make money. They're not so concerned about doing the right thing or telling the truth. And the news, they have a tendency to sensationalize and not tell us the truth. An active shooter event should be in our society, in our civilization, something which is sad. It has to happen. But they give too much time to explaining it, you know, and talking about it. And the person that commits these crimes, all of a sudden they've got that notoriety that they were seeking, that fame to go into infamy as Jack the Ripper did or the strangler with the velvet glove when they have achieved their, their goals. And even though they may die, people will know them. Then there's also people that have mental health issues, you know, all the time. People who were abused as a child, it's understandable why they might have mental health issues. Maybe they're bipolar, you know, if they're not taking their medication. They have these problems, you know. Or they might be schizophrenic. Who knows? But we're all in this together, my friends. And don't get me wrong about television. I mean, I love the people on television. I respect them as individual human beings, you know, and, and I'm trying to love everybody. And we all should. It's just sometimes hard to take, you know. So that's it, my friends. May the supreme creator of the universe bless us, everyone, and keep us safe and well. Thank you for listening to my show. Talk to you next week. Take care. I love you. Bye-bye.